Today, our first conversation is with Deborah Quadsville, Managing Partner of GSV Ventures. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So let's get acquainted. Let's get you introduced to our audience. Tell us a bit about your background and also about GSV. Absolutely. We're uh, GSV stands for Global Silicon Valley. So we're we go at a global perspective. We focus on the uh, seven trillion dollar uh, global education and workforce skills marketplace. Um, we do that through really two um, two two approaches. One is uh, through a venture fund, GSV Ventures, where we invest in early stage, actually um, early primarily early stage, although some later stage investments as well in premier names in the education technology space. So companies like Coursera, ClassDojo, um, Course Hero, uh, Remind, Photomath, uh, Guild Education, et cetera, are in our uh, portfolio between our two funds. Um, and then we also host a, um, an event called the ASU GSC Summit when we're not um, in a COVID lockdown. It would have been physically, physically would have occurred in uh, the spring. We've been doing a series of virtual conversations um, and in its place and are, are hoping that we can actually do it later in the year. But um, the ASU GSP Summit is a gathering of leadership across what we call the pre-K to gray uh, learning and talent landscape. And uh, it's, it's, it's usually about 5,500 people from all over the world um, to, uh, sharing views and perspectives on um, the future of digital education. COVID's been a mm -hmm. uh, yeah, very interesting phenomenon for, for online learning. Um, it's, Probably everybody on this line knows whether you have kids or you're you're doing learning yourself online. It has sort of rapidly accelerated the sector, um, and so it's been a, it's been a pretty active um, period for us as uh, in 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 the lockdown. Very interesting. You know, we uh, we have covered Course Hero for a long time actually, and uh, I know the CEO very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, just recently, actually, maybe five days ago, I spoke with uh, the CEO of Quizlet, mm -hmm. and uh, that's something that we are going to be doing a big story on. We have our Entrepreneur Journey series where all these entrepreneurs are featured in very long feature stories, so a case study style. So we do cover uh, online education in a big way. We have a lot of entrepreneurs in online education that are in our community. So uh, very interesting. It's a it's a area that we, that is of great interest to us. How big is the fund? Uh, our you know our first fund was uh, right at 100 million. Our second fund um, we're targeting 200 million with um, hard cap 250. We've we've closed on on half of that, um, roughly 100 million at this point. And what size checks do you write? Um, you know, we have a barbell approach to investing. So the majority of our investments come in through seed and Series A. Um, so we'd be in a seed round, you know, putting in anywhere from 250 to a million on average. Um, in the mm -hmm. A round, we can um, put, you know, anywhere to, uh, up to, you know, probably eight, nine million for companies that we are um, really, really see see breaking out. We, you know, we're trying to look at. We have a a, a view that disproportionate gains accrue to a leader in, in tech categories. We're seeing that in spades during the, um, the COVID yes. epidemic. And so um, when we see companies breaking out and, and we want to put a shoulder to, we want to build up a position of um, 10 to 15 million in, the, in a single company. So um, the perspective that they could return the fund. 
Um, so that's so we'll that, that's how we think about it in aggregate. But we will um, said typically come in seed and Series A, but can will also can also do a select number of uh, later stage investments. Later stage. Mm -hmm. So our interest is primarily in actually seed and Series A. So yep. let's uh, focus on that discussion. What do you like to see by way of proof points before you're willing to write a check? You know, uh, it's interesting because we're sector experts and we've been working in education technology for over 20, you know, well over 20 years. I have a partner in Silicon Valley, Michael Moe, who really wrote sort of the original thesis for, for a Wall Street investment category um, around digital education. And uh, in the mid-1990s, actually, it was, it was early, but it was a sort of a dead-on thesis. It took the sector, um, it's taken until the last decade to get there. But because we're sector experts, I think that we have a pretty, you know, we have pretty strong pattern recognition of what works and doesn't mm -hmm. work. We're certainly going to make mistakes. We've made plenty of them. We'll make plenty more. But, you know, as a result, we're, you know, we look at, a, we have a framework we call the five Ps, which is, you know, the people is the, is the lead. And and you know, foremost and uh, factor in, in how we invest, and um, the ability of that team to kind of shoulder a great idea forward, um, and then product potential predictability and then purpose, um, because we're not a, we're not an impact fund, but we do believe that companies with purpose will have higher financial returns uh, in the long run, and we do believe that every investment we make, um, you know, has to be in companies and teams that that will that are looking to make massive impacts. Um, so you actually see across our portfolio are the companies that we're invested in so far are serving um, hundreds of millions of learners in aggregate. So what we're looking for is a breakout idea, uh, white space within the, within this this pre-K to gray category that we've you know spent a whole lot of time in, uh, or a unique approach to go to market um, with a with a strong product. So we're looking first and foremost at a great team, a great team paired with um, an investment idea, an investment um, thesis, uh, or, you know, if it's really early, it could be the thesis stage, or, um, if, you know, one that's actually gotten out there and got proof points from, from customers. So we're, we're actually will, willing to go in quite early um, on a selective basis, um, depending, on, uh, depending on the strength of the team and, and the strength of the conceptual idea. Um, we're, we're willing to actually do that, although then we're also obviously investing in the A round, at, at which point you're obviously going to have proof points. Mm -hmm. So um, let's talk a little bit about pattern recognition. So um, could you talk about some of the patterns that you've seen as success patterns and also some of the patterns that you have identified as failure patterns in this sector? Yeah, that's, um, that's a, uh, that's a uh, you know, good, yeah, yeah, it's a good way to think about it. So, um, success we've seen, so I think Class Dojo is a great example in the K-12 market. We actually talked about Course Hero too. Um, K-12, investing in the K-12 market, particularly for U.S.-based companies, and by the way, most of our companies end up with very large international um, uh, uh, components. In fact, Class Dojo is more than 50% of users are outside the U.S., but not when they started. So. Um, what, what we loved about Class Dojo is it, it didn't approach um, go-to-market in the K-12 space in the traditional way. The traditional way is you hire tons of salespeople. It's very expensive, very high barriers to entry, um, very long sales processes into K-12 districts and schools, um, and very, very difficult to scale. Some, some people have done it, but it's a very rare bird. 
that does that. So what we loved about Class Dojo was that they were doing, it was a free offering into school, still is, always will be, free offering to teachers in schools, administrators. Um, they really only, they began monetizing last year. Uh, that monetization is and always was, always was planned to be through um, selling into the parent, into the parent population. So um, never, never changing the dynamic of a free distribution of the product into the schools, into te with teachers and schools, um, within you know the the monetization up with parents who you know who trust the brand, having having used it for many years with the schools. So we think that's a that's a very powerful strategy. We've seen that not only in our portfolio but in a number of other companies that are seeing breakout performance in the K-12 space have just found an, have found a go-to-market that is not the that is not the traditional go-to-market for that space. Um, and so, I think, uh, Deborah, yes, can I stop you there for a second? I have a few questions. So uh, you're you're looking for free distribution to teachers and students and monetization through parents. That's right. How how do teachers and students and parents find out about the product? You know, it was really viral adoption. So um, in the case of Class Dojo, it, it, it was seated amongst teachers. They they developed sort of champions in, within school buildings. Um, and, you know, they, it's, a K, it's a product for K-8, not K-12, but um, it was very, so it was very viral. I mean, they did some intentional seeding with, with sort of, um, with teachers who became uh, passionate about the product and then, and then basically virally um, had it adopted by their friends and partners and colleagues in the teaching profession. So um, it's, it's been a, uh, it, it's a very, um, very low CAC in that way. Uh, and today, you know, there are well over 50 million um, teachers, parents, students um, using the product globally. And, and in COVID, what's happened in COVID is, is as you would expect, actually, um, the penetration within schools has dramatically increased. So, so while, you know, most every K-8 school has, you know, has a teacher using the product, um, with everyone going online now, the product basically gives a teacher a virtual platform to communicate with students and to communicate with parents and with administrators, for that matter. Um, and so as, as the teachers, as the virtual platform became important, more important than it was already, uh, the, the, the penetration during the COVID period has been astronomical. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so that, that's, uh, that's um, basically, uh, it, it is, has been... Uh, a viral, you know, a viral adoption. It, it was a, yeah. Sorry. Can we talk a bit about seeding such a viral adoption? If you're trying to reach these earlier, I mean, for the, in the entire history of technology, bringing technology products to market, every innovator, every entrepreneur has had to look for uh, early adopters, right? So in this case, we are looking for early adopter teachers who are dynamic and who are experimental and who like to experiment with new products. Is there a place where you go to find these early adopter teachers? You know, they're and all do, kinds. Do you see yeah. that across companies? Yeah. Sure, there are all kinds of there are all kinds of teacher communities. Um, teachers are very, uh, you know, interact a lot. Teachers uh, share. Uh, lesson plans. They should, there's a there's a very active. There are a number of different. There's a company called Teachers Pay Teachers, which basically allow uh, is a platform for teachers, um, literally paying each other for lesson plan exchange at very you know very low ticket prices. So there there are lots of places where um, teachers aggregate. 
and 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 the company has developed over the steady march of um, teachers becoming more it, larger and larger numbers of teachers becoming digital natives. When the company was founded, um, which would have been you know ten years ago or so, um, the comp the 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 that was that was really the beginning of the of the move, the generational move of teachers becoming becoming digital natives. So that the company has been has really ridden that wave as well as as, as a number of other things. But um, but yeah, it's, it to teachers are very communicative. They're very viral. They're um, they're a whole yeah they're a whole series of aggregators, um, hundreds of them, probably thousands of them really, um, who where that that are places where teachers gather to exchange information, views, um, lesson plans, etc. Yeah, that's actually we've we've done a few of these um, online education focused uh, discussions, and that that point comes across every time is that there there are online ways of accessing teachers and spread, leveraging their viral uh, ability to propagate information, and they are digital natives, and there are a lot of digital native teachers right now. That's right, and so they're also you're, they're also very yeah. um, strong. You know, they have very strong opinions, um, and in in a good way. And uh, so they're very they're very um, reliable in terms of um, being able to vet solutions. So if your solution isn't good, um, you're probably not going to get a lot of you're you're going to probably get some pretty heavy uh, negative feedback um, pretty quickly because teachers are very um, rigorous in the way that they they consider things. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Now. Um, you said you wanted to talk about Course Hero a bit. Oh, sure. Happy to talk about Course Hero. Course Hero is, you well know, um, in the higher education space portion of um, the pre-K to gray landscape. And they, uh, what, what Course Hero was really developed by Andrew Brower, the founder, as you know, um, in his dorm room at Cornell when he was trying to, to really create a platform for students, a tech, technology platform for students to exchange notes. And um, that grew, that's grown into a, um, a very large, you know, very large business today. It's over half of um, half of college students in the U.S. and very large, um, very large market positions outside of the U.S. and particularly in English-speaking countries. Uh, he can, you know, again have over over half in many many countries, um, and that's important because the higher education market is is uh, not growing here in the U.S. In fact, it's declining along with our demographics. But it's growing very rapidly outside of the U.S. in emerging markets. Uh, but what Andrew figured out was that he, he basically removed friction um, from. I mean, obviously, um, going back to the dark ages of when I was in college, uh, note sharing um, among students has been a, has existed uh, forever. But what Andrew did was was move it online, um, allow students to sort of grade each other in terms of the the, the quality of their um, delivery. It is now. Uh, the, it, he developed a tutoring um, module off that, so so you know strong academic students could then tutor other students as peer to peer. It's now a subscription-based product that um, that uh, offers all kinds of supplemental um, study uh, supports for students to make them um, to to raise you know it's all about student success, and it's helping students where they where as Andrew would say where they get stuck. And how do you how do you help a student get unstuck and um, and move to to a successful academic outcome? Again, they've also seen um, tremendous uh, growth during the the COVID um, the COVID crisis, 
and as students have all gone online. And the other the, the piece of the business too that he has added uh, in, in more recent um, years is also bringing faculty onto the platform. So now he has, I think, over 40,000 faculty members um, from all over who are sharing information, sharing their their own materials and um, and benefiting from the uh, sort of that the elevation that this platform gives to things that they're doing. Um, so it's a it's a he he really just kind of cre he created this um, you know frictionless layer that's really hovers you know it hovers above the university. It doesn't get I think not unlike the K-12 system selling into the higher education system in a traditional way, which is um, you know, sometimes you can sell to the university itself into a, into a procurement area at the university, um, but often you actually have to sell um, professor by professor or department by department, which is, as you might imagine, a very laborious um, and very expensive uh, sales investment. It's kind of what the traditional publishers had always done. And um, and so what, what Andrew, you know, has done is, I mean, he has no, he has no sales, he has no sales people. He has some champ, he has, you know, when, when you could be on campus, he had campus champions in various places um, to, to support Course Hero on campus, but, um, but he basically created this frictionless layer that hovers above the university and allows students to tap in um, successfully. Also, a lot of students, it's a, it's a freemium model, so a lot, a lot of students use it for, get the benefit of it for free, and they, and they can also get free benefits by contributing their own products. Um, and so there, it's a it's a mix of free and paid utilization on the on the um, on the platform. Although conversion to paid is actually quite is quite robust. Yeah, yeah, it's an awesome awesome company. I mean, I had my last conversation with Andrew was uh, I think last fall or something like that. We had coffee in Cafe Borodi, mm -hmm. and uh, I think we, we were already at the company was already at fifty million and. Oh, it's well above Probably. that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. would have been, it would have been important that in the fall, but um, yeah, no, it's a very it's a very successful business. Andrew, it's also very capital efficient. We um, I, I went in as an angel investor uh, in the one the really one institutional round that they did, um, and then when we raised our fund, I put the angel investment into the into the fund, and then we we actually went in by buying um, uh, shares from uh, from founders. And because there was really there was there was no capital need, they have recently um, you know gone into unicorn status and and raised capital um, for uh, um, different purposes, but um, like strict like M and A activity and to give employee liquidity. But um, yeah, in, in addition to everything else, he built a um, he built a, a highly efficient uh, business from a capital perspective, from a profitability. Oh capital. yeah. In fact, that's when I first met him is when he was, he had still been bootstrapping the company and he did, he went very far bootstrapping. That company yeah. is, is a did. wonderful case study of bootstrap first, raise money later, which has been our mantra more or less in this platform. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So um, what, what are some other success criteria and failure criteria in your pattern matching? You talked uh, extensively about teacher adoption and viral spread and then monetization through parents as one of the pieces of success versus the failure criteria of trying to sell one by one to professors or teachers or school administrations. Are there any other 
such patterns in either direction that you have synthesized? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I mean, I think those are at least in the K-12 and higher ed market. Those are the, they, those are really two of the biggest pitfalls. Um, it, it is just very difficult uh, to, to, you know, to have the, you know, the capital and the bandwidth to kind of roll out sales in a traditional sense in either, in either of those markets. Um, so I think, I think those are, um, those are pitfalls. Not to say we have an investment in a K-12 company and a second seed investment and second fund um, uh, in, a, in a terrific company um, called Intellispark that is going, that's very early, um, but, but the two founders of uh, Naviance, which is sort of the dominant college counseling software in high schools. And um, they're looking, they're going to be selling into schools, selling a whole child measurement. Um, the idea that there is, uh, you know, there's a whole lot more to measure than grades and attendance. And um, I think, you know, schools are acutely aware of this, but there's no organized way to do it. Uh, we think it's a really important area, this, the, the idea of whole child. Um, it's got, uh, it's really resonated strongly with um, with schools, and, and you've got two experienced entrepreneurs who's at, who've actually scaled a K-12 business in a traditional way, selling into schools. So, so we, it's not that we won't ever do that. Uh, so I think you know we'll you know we'll see. We're very early, and and um, COVID has impact obviously slowed anyone who's trying to who has to sell directly into schools. The schools being closed, but um, so it's not to say it's not ever going to work. But um, but it, but I think it's a it's a high hurdle. You have to have really the right the right group of, of folks. Um, Trying to think about anything else, I, um, you know, in the in the corporate market, I think you have to have um, that's been, you know, difficult because um, corporate learning historically was not highly prioritized. Um, I think that dynamic has changed a lot as CEOs now understand because um, you know we're going to go through the test right now in a typical recession. Um, some of the first cuts that would be made at, at headquarters would be in the corporate learning area. Um, which was, you know, emblematic of the fact that CEOs didn't see it as a top, you know, five priority when the rubber hit the road. Um, I, we, we're not seeing those kind of cuts this go around because CEOs have realized that even in a context of where they're maybe furloughing or laying people off, they still need to train and retrain, you know, the term is skill and upskill and reskill. Um, their existing employees, the employees that are left, you know, given sort of job obsolescence and other factors. So, um, I think the you know, historically the the enterprise learning market had been there there had been risk there in uh, you know recessionary risk there and that that um, and the the general prioritization of the the area by companies but I think that's I think that is we've seen a sea change there that happened before COVID but it's going to you know we're going to um, we're going to test out the thesis uh, during COVID as as we sort of wade through this this COVID driven recession but. Um, you know, that's the other thing I would can think of off you know, the top of my head. I think usually, usually the usually the you know usually the failures are related to leadership. Mm-hmm. In my so uh, one thing that you did not mention, but it's your portfolio actually reflects it is uh, and and the general trends also is uh, a, a significant presence of user-generated content in the product strategy of some of the companies that we discussed, Course Hero being a prime example, even Pluralsight, uh, which we also covered from very early on, and they did up to, I think, $16 million in revenue before they raised any money. 
um, that was a bootstrap company out of Utah, yep. also did a very interesting spin on user-generated content. Um, Quizlet is a user-generated content-based unicorn. So it's like, it seems like there is a very interesting trend going on in the education world where user-generated content is doing really well. Well, yeah, no, I think that's right. Certainly, you know, I would put Pluralsight a little differently. I'd, I'd say that's more like Udemy um, and others where expert, you know, expert-driven content um, where you're, you know, you're not pretty, you know, these companies are not, you're right. Um, Coursera is another example. These companies are not building huge content teams um, to make, to create their own content. They're levering you know, either in the course of, in the case of Coursera, you're leveraging the the high the, the high brand and the high quality of of, of well-known global universities, um, and leveraging that content into a whole host of different um, you know channels, whether it's consumer or enterprise or degree or, or actual degrees. Um, in the case of Pluralsight, Udemy, and a number of others, leveraging experts. Um, in their field to then to then to basically become teachers. You're basically recruiting um, professional experts to become professional teachers on your platform, and then having rev shares with those professionals. Uh, and you know, Linda, Linda was an original there, and um, yes, in in doing that, she you know, Linda bootstrap, Linda and her husband Bruce bootstrapped that company. Also, I'm sure you followed for forever. Till Excel came in, and um, and that was which was quite late, and uh, yeah, no. So it's interesting. I think it's taking it's kind of you know it's taking personal IP and monetizing it, right? I mean, you can if you if you've got an ability today in um, a certain professional area that is in demand, um, the odds are you can you can hire yourself out to a learning platform, to um, and it and it it's real wide ranging. I think everything from the arts to to vocational skills, to you know, to serious coding and serious technology skills, like you see on the Pluralsight platform. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a, uh, it's the it's really the the elevation of superstar teachers. Yeah, that's the conversation I actually had with Andrew in in the context of Coursera is that he was trying to figure out a strategy for leveraging that trend of the celebrity teacher or the superstar teacher, as you called. Um, Basically, leveraging expertise and creating and and giving people a platform to teach on 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 the Coursera platform by uh, you know riding on that trend. Uh, so so I think that is a major trend as well. Absolutely, yeah. Everybody, everyone's a teacher. Yeah. Um, so when you look at COVID-induced changes, what do you see? Yeah, what we've seen is an acceleration. You know, we expected we expected the the um, the digital learning market to grow from 160 billion today to um, sort of in t towards the half a billion mark in uh, 2026, a little bit under that. But what we've seen is, you know, we think we've basically taken a step change, so a two-year compression in that growth cycle. So actually, we're, we're now projecting um, that they'll we'll hit a trillion. The, the, Digital learning market will be a trillion dollars uh, in 2026, and we can, you know, we're, we look at analogs like e the adoption of e-commerce in the in the commerce area uh, and the penetration levels of the, uh, how that moved 
and, and drawing analogs there, uh, amongst other things. So, so the, what, what we've seen, and it's not going to be for, certainly there are companies that are suffering and are, are going to, um, you know, are, are badly impaired by what's happened. Um, you know, obviously, particularly companies that, that depend on any kind of physical um, setting and, and have not been able to pivot into an, an online um, delivery. But I think the, in general, um, we, we just had a phone call this morning with an entrepreneur in India uh, who's seeing, you know, incredible changes in the dynamics in the Indian ed tech market uh, because of this. In one, you know, funnily enough, in India, you, you still sell, you, you go to people's homes to sell, you know, a consumer product like education, you know, like a tutoring service, even if it's online. And, um, and obviously, you're not able to do that under COVID, and it's sort of trans it's transformed the go-to-market, the sales strategies in India, um, because because people are now going to be accustomed, the, the you know habits are going to have changed because it will be probably a long time before anyone is going to be going to anyone's house to 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 sell something. So, similarly here, um, certainly the going online, whether you look at K-12 or you look at higher ed, is not been perfect. In fact, you know I think you can read a whole lot about. Um, you know, you know it's, it's imperfections and dissatisfaction on the part of students um, and questioning things like, like cost um, and why, you know, why would you pay the same amount for being online that you do to be there physically. And I think those are all questions to be asked with or without COVID. I think it's a, a you know, great question. So I think that I think that um, it's going to and it's also obviously elevated the, the, the fundamental issue of um, the, the, uh, the, the digital divide in that, you know, low-income students didn't have access to Wi-Fi, bandwidth, um, and devices and in the yeah. way they have to. And I think that that's going to – and that was something that existed before COVID. COVID just re-elevated it. And um, yeah. low-income students should be able to learn at home. It's, you know, it's not remote learning. It's learning at home. And so hopefully out of right. this, we'll see some – Real moves by governments and um, collab and I think we're already seeing it collaboration to make sure we get you know we get uh, equity of access to um, to low income families uh, around this so they can so they can participate equally in in the in digital education um, which I think is is very encouraging um, and and very important uh, so I think there are all kinds of there are going to be all kinds of fascinating ramifications from, from what's happened. Um, and as I think we all know, it's, it's, you know, we're not exactly, it's not exactly over. So um, people are still, you know, I think people are going to be held to a high level of accountability to improve the, the, to improve the online delivery of education. You can't just stick some people on Zoom and hope that it works. Right. And, and you know, that's one of the observations that I have is that, um, you know, I've, we've been covering online education from a journalistic point of view for a long time, 15 years. And uh, the first shift was from this, you, you must have heard this expression, stage on stage to guide on side, where the teacher was asking people to go and look at YouTube videos or Khan Academy videos and then coming and doing exercise. In class, they were doing exercises and the teacher was there to, to support and, and guide uh, on the side. But I think we have taken another um, you know, turn in this COVID crisis, if the teacher is on Zoom and, and the child for the most part of the day is learning at home on his or her own, 
and and especially in households where there isn't a lot of education in the parents, the parents are not in a position to help them. And and when it comes to high school, AP, calculus and stuff like that, very few households have um, parents who can help with any of that. So, so those are technology, you know, the software piece of that, the content piece of that, the the workflow of teaching, all of this needs to change. I think there's a whole new paradigm coming into play now. Uh, no, I think that, that I think that's exactly right. I think the other, I mean, what's interesting, I, I interviewed Alberto Carvalho on a um, on a virtual summit, and Alberto is a famous and wildly accomplished and um, spectacular superintendent of Miami Dade, and Miami Dade went online really easily, um, and they've had ninety. 1% attendance, which is mind-blowing when you hear about other districts. Um, and, and to your point on parents, you know, what they've done, they've created supports, but he also, he actually views this as the opportunity to bring parents into the learning experience, that in, in, a, in a school setting, parents are really shut out, and you can't yep. come to the building, you can't participate, and, and, I, and I loved how he thought about that, because even if you can't teach calculus, um, to be able to bring your kids, your parents, into the room with your children and the teacher and sort of see, you know, have them actually participate more actively in the learning that's happening with their children in, in the public school systems. I, I thought it was a very elegant observation. Um, but yes, we do have to have, you know, no, no, parents should not be, and I certainly, you know, I'm certainly not equipped anymore to teach calculus. Um, so it, <laughs> it, it, our products better and better and better. I think the products are getting better and better and better. Um, and uh, and so, which which um, uh, you know, there, I I also think this is going to bring a whole lot of new, fresh entrepreneurs into the space. Yes, exactly, exactly. I think that would be fantastic. Exactly, and so we need it. We need the next. You know, we had this wonderful wave that that Andrew and others were in, um, and so it's it'll be great to have have a new wave of folks come in to kind of address the things you're talking about. Terrific. Deborah, I know you have to go. I'm, I've kept you longer than you had signed up for, so apologies for that. <laughs> so much. Uh, it was great to talk to you. Appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks.